In an online world that never sleeps, you can't afford to be off ever. So how do you keep rooms full, guests raving, costs down, and staff happy? SiteMiner is the world's leading hotel commerce platform that provides hoteliers like you with the tools you need to sell, market, manage, and grow your hotel business all from a single dashboard. It allows you to be present among top booking channels, connect with your guests, build loyalty, and boost revenue. This intuitive platform has everything you need to succeed in the world of online hotel commerce. To learn more and get 50% off your first six months of a 12-month contract, visit siteminder.com forward slash principles. That's siteminder.com forward slash principles. All of our properties are anywhere between 15 to 25 minutes away from downtown. Um, we develop in more rural settings. So what I say is, if you're living in a busy metro market, you wanna think of where people in your city are taking extended weekend vacations to. Welcome to the Proven Principles Podcast, the show that deconstructs the inner workings of the hospitality industry, breaking down the tools, tips, and tricks that the world's best run hotels use every day. Here's your host, Adam Knight. My guest today is Alex Jarbo. He's a short-term rental developer and manager in Asheville, North Carolina. A former Marine who found his way to real estate investing, he now runs Sargon Investments, a short-term rental development company that is working on 650 cabins over the next three years. He also writes for Bigger Pockets, runs a YouTube channel, and recently launched a short-term rental educational course to help people get into the industry. This is a topic that's near and dear to me. The idea of taking years of hospitality experience and using it to create your own hospitality brand has grabbed me and I know it's done the same for many other hospitality professionals. The trouble is taking real estate development from idea to reality is filled with hurdles and landmines. The analysis paralysis and anxiety are real. So where do you go to get one step closer to making your dream a reality? I hope this episode is it. Alex has been there. He started small and is working to build an empire. He shares more about what he did and how he did it, what to look out for, and the people you should have on your team to help. So if you're at all interested in getting into short-term rentals, this episode is for you. So let's get to it. This is episode 107 of the Proven Principles podcast, Alex Jarbo on starting your hospitality investment journey. Enjoy. Alex, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me on, man. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? What's your journey been through hospitality? Yeah, so I started, um, I guess we're gonna go all the way back. I started in the Marine Corps, served like four and a half years, sort of towards the end of my enlistment. I had decided that I didn't really wanna re-enlist. Um, so what I did was um, I just started picking up a lot of different real estate books, a lot of different, any any type of real estate book I could get my hands on. I was reading it while I was still in the military. And I had originally joined a flipping mentorship when I was still in the Marine Corps. And I had I was like once on like a group coaching call with the gentleman that ran the coaching program. And uh, he had just like randomly mentioned, uh, he was like, um, all of my long-term wealth is tied into short-term rentals. And I was like, that like perked my, this was back in 2015, 16. Early days. And um, I was like, so I got him on a one-on-one call. I asked him, he was very open with his numbers, showing me what his properties were making and cash flowing. And that, that like widened my eyes. I'm like, look, like compared to like some like long-term, like some of the long-term rentals or even multifamily stuff I was looking at, it was crazy. Um, so he had originally helped me decide on the current market that I live in right now, but he, he taught me how to choose a short-term rental market. And so literally the day I got out of the military, I moved to where I live now, which is Asheville, North Carolina. 
and um, got my real estate license. And then I just started looking for a property for myself. And what I realized really quickly was everything was at that time was either way out of my price range, or it was in my price range, but it wouldn't have done well as a short term rental, maybe as a long term rental, but not really a short term rental. Um, so after looking for like six months, I was sort of like fed up and I decided to build my very first real estate investment. Mm-hmm. My first real estate, my very first short term rental was an 800 square foot a frame that we own to this day. One turned into two really quickly, two turned into four, uh, brought on some investor capital. And today we're developing over $10 million in different vacation, like unique short term rentals, and hopefully hoping to triple that next year. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. I mean, th- th- what you're talking about is like the... It's like the dream for so many people is you find that right piece of land uh, or or maybe not. Maybe you just find the right property and then you just build this little empire from right. there. And I can only imagine like, you know, and we'll talk about this. I can only imagine the question you could ask all the time is how do I start? Where do, where do yeah. I go from there? But maybe we can, maybe we can come at this from a bit of a different angle than the mm-hmm. typical, you know, like, how do I build my short-term rental empire conversation that you've probably had a million times. Um, when we talk about, investing in a hospitality business. Can you maybe run through a little bit what some of the options are for people? Because I could see it, it, you know, and I've been in this position where you just think, well, all I got to do is find this money and then I just build this and people will come. But there's actually a lot of different ways people can get involved. So maybe we start there first. Yeah. And I love, I love how like same thing with this podcast. I love the question of you use the word hospitality. You don't say Airbnb. You don't say short-term rentals. You don't say vacation rentals. Like I am in like, uh, it's very easy for someone to say like, I'm, I'm in the Airbnb space or whatever, but I always like push people to say, no, you're, you're in hospitality. Like you, you are in a hospitality business. And with that being said, I don't like it when like your 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 property should not live on like Airbnb and VRBO. Like that 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 is not where your property should live. Um, that that should, I look at Airbnb and I tell students this. I look at Airbnb and VRBO as like um the marketing a part of the marketing arm to your business, but it's not where your business should live because you should never rely on like say like one client or one channel to get all of your guests through because that could completely screw you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's. When it comes to hospitality, I, I always think about it, it, it's 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 more it, it's going to take more time. Like you said, it's not just the capital that you're bringing into the table. Like it, they they do require a little bit more love. Um, with that being said, automating automating the business is a huge part of my business. So like automated messaging, virtual assistants, having a good cleaning crew, um, that's that's sort of key outside of just bringing money to the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're, I think you're absolutely right. And, and talking about, I mean, anybody who's in, who's got a hotel background listening right now, when we talk about Airbnb and Verbo primarily, those are just distribution channels, just like any other That's OTA it. is. That's it. And you would yep. never build a hotel and rely solely on Expedia to sell your rooms. You would right. obviously, you'd create, uh, you'd create a, a, a framework and a distribution platform where you can sell rooms in many places including your own direct booking channel, which is always preferred by everybody. It's just more profitable that way. Yeah, um, and there's a lot of And that's, that's sort of where the industry on my side is going is towards the direct booking side, at least for people who are actually like serious about this business. Mm-hmm. Actually, yeah. and that brings up a really good point. Like if you are, I'll ask you this a different way because we're doing this right now. We're trying to figure this out. Yeah. 
how do you build a direct booking um uh, like framework for yourself yeah, if you just yeah, if yeah, you have like all, one I mean, one property you have no brand nobody knows who you yeah. are right that's always the big hurdle to get over yeah and, and that is mo- like the the ment- the sort of the, the switch has to 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 be made and like i'm building a brand here compared to it's just even if it's just one property um there uh i don't know if you've heard of boostly but mark mm-hmm. simpson from boostly he has a I mean, his his company's who's building out our plat our direct booking platform right now. But what I love about you need to study just just because Airbnb is sort of the op like sort of the competitor or whatever to hotels. That doesn't mean that we just I didn't study hotels when I when I when I first started coming up six seven years ago. I didn't have there weren't any books on short term rentals. Maybe there was like one or two compared to now where there's fifty a hundred mm-hmm. of them. Um, so I relied really heavily. I, I purchased like behind me, there's like hotel textbooks on like, like I went to like, I went to like the, like what universities tell their students to read. And yeah. I, I like tried to <laughs> yeah. figure out what books those were and like hospitality and stuff. And I purchased like hospitality books and I, I would study like what their models were, how, how their business model was and everything. And what I learned was, I mean, it, a lot of times like hotels do rely on like Expedia or the OTAs, but they try to bring them into the property and sort of get their contact information and remarket to them. So that's sort of what we started doing was there's a really cool cool service called StayFi and it's just for short-term rentals. Um, but it's a little router that, pl- or it's a little disc that plugs into the back of your router. And it essentially creates a landing page for your guests to be able to put their email address in for you to get their contact info. Um, and then it gives them access to the internet. It also protects you. I've never had a guest complain about it. Um, it's like you're going to Starbucks or the airport. You have to mm-hmm. put your email address, and it's the same thing. Um, but we we get our we get our guests from Booking.com, Airbnb, VRBO. We funnel them into our properties, and then from there we capture their contact info, and then we remarket to them through eventually a direct booking site. Right now we're just remarketing to them in terms of like just pushing them to the same Airbnb link, um, mm-hmm. just to stay top of mind. But once the direct booking site is built through Boostly. Um, that we're just going to be pushing people to that website. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that's honestly, that's, that's the, the hotel play yeah. more often than not is that you yeah, try to leverage the OTAs as a marketing channel absolutely. for yourself. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, and, and then you try to get them into your universe after they stayed there, um, you know, for the, for the first time. Um, and that's, I mean, to be perfectly frank, I mean, you know, trying to solve the OTA booking challenge has been something that people in hotels have been trying to figure out forever. There's a lot of really smart people out there who've been trying to work on this and yeah, yeah. nobody's really figured it out yet. So I think you gotta- It's, it's, you like, gotta, it's a symbiotic relationship in a yeah. way. I mean, it, 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 there there is a place for them. It's just like, you just don't want them. Cause I, I mean, we, again, we're developing $10 million worth. We currently own a little over 4 million right now in properties. And it's like, Imagine if like that four million was just sitting in the control of a different company. Like they they completely control my property if it's just set on Airbnb or VRBO, which I just never liked. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a whole other episode. <laughs> Absolutely, completely different. Um, okay, so I have uh, I'm new to real estate investing. I have no money. I want to build a short term rental, uh, maybe one day empire, but I'd be happy with getting my first. Yeah. 
what what are the options out there for people to start? Um, so there, there's two there's there's a lot of different options in terms of it, it depends like where you are currently. If you already have some land, I've, I've I've met a lot of people that have inherited land. You can start with like a glamping setup or something similar to that. Another thing I've seen is depending on what your zoning laws are in your area, I've seen people build like a tiny house in their backyard and essentially rent it out. And that's how people have gotten started. I know a lot of people that are big in this space that that's how they started was they built a little property with a renovation loan, uh, like a little accessory dwelling unit, a mother-in-law suite in their backyard and rented that out. One that boosted their property value, um, but also brought them cash flow and they would refinance out once that was built. Um, that's another way to do it is just to build something in your backyard with a renovation loan or refi- I wouldn't refinance our route out mm-hmm. right now, but like with a renovation loan. And then another way which we still utilize this strategy is purchasing an already built property that is unique that you feel like would do well on the short term rental sites with some sort of acreage attached to it. And then you build, you eventually build more like unique properties on that acreage while at the same time having built in cash flow on the front end. Yeah, that's a smart way to do it, actually. So you're kind of making money right out of the gate. Um, Absolutely. And a, a really good example, and um, we just looked at it yesterday. We got it under contract last month, but um, we, we were able to get seven properties under contract. It's a little cluster development. But mm-hmm. our goal is to build like another six to 10 properties on this parcel because there was, I think, 12 other 12 acres on this property. So it's like we're with our investors, like there's built in cash flow. And then from there, we're, we're able probably in a year or two to build more once the concept is proven out at that property. Can you talk a little bit about your investors, who you're working with, how you found them? Uh, yeah. You know, this is also a, a, a pretty big um, hurdle. I mean, I think a lot of people are just sort of defeatist when they come to this initially. They're like, great, I have this wonderful idea, but I just have no way of figuring out where to get the money from. But the yeah, reality is just, there's a lot of money out there, right? There is. And it's funny because like as we're recording this, there was an interest rate hike yesterday again. Um, And I mean, people are scared right now. Um, People are people are scared. But like for the people who don't have money, like people are scared and the people who do have money, they're scared as well. But there is money lying around. And especially right now, I mean, the conversation was different, say, eight months ago. That was just like people were getting crushed and they couldn't find a good deal because prices were so high. But now the conversation is, where do I put my money? Where do I put this extra money that I have saved up or something? Or maybe maybe I sold a property, but I never, I didn't 1031 exchange it or anything. And I just sat on the money and I want to do something with it. But the markets are going crazy right now. Interest rates are continuing to go up. Um, and one way I've found it, I mean, just asking the question, there's a really cool tool called a memory jogger that people can just look up where it's literally like... 30 or 40 pages if you find the right one. And it's like literally just, who's who's my dentist? Who's my doctor? Who's my cousin? Who's blah, 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 blah. And it's literally just a list of everyone that would be in your life. And you just like literally dash and write that person's name down. And you can eventually, that that's how I started was just doing that little exercise and figuring out like who I could contact. And that's why I found my first couple investors. Um, those weren't, they weren't syndication or fund deals. Those were just like friends and family money mm-hmm. coming in. And we did like separate joint venture deals for each one of them where I took a small management fee. I took 50% of the deal. They took the other 50% of the deal. We closed in an LLC, uh, commercial debt, uh, debt service coverage ratio loans. And, um, they're completely passive 50%. I don't get, again, a small management fee plus 50%. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they're, I mean, they're comfortable with that. The returns were anywhere between like 12 to 16, 12 to 20%. 
depending yeah. on on the deal. This was, I mean, I mean, we did get caught in the. I mean, one of our properties has like a seven percent interest rate. It's not as high as like an eight, eight and a half, nine, which is what we're getting towards. Um, but that's how I started in my first couple ones. And then what I did was I started hopping on podcasts, like multifamily apartment podcasts. And this was back again six months ago. And I the the owners of those podcasts knew that I was going to be pitching like a deal or something at the end, and they were comfortable with that. And so I, I, it was a very easy transition of, I, I'm really good with like taking people from multifamily to short-term rentals and having that conversation. So that was essentially the conversation we were having on those podcasts of here, here are the returns in multifamily and where the cap rates currently stand, depending on where you are in the country. And this is sort of the range of where we're at in the returns and the short-term rental stuff. Um, and I would just filter people through my website and then I would just get them on a phone call from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what I realized really quickly after doing maybe over four or five of those podcasts on those multifamily podcasts is usually those people who would run those podcasts had some sort of syndication or fund. So after we would stop recording, they would actually pitch themselves to me. Like mm-hmm. they, they, instead of going in, like maybe they were hard, fa- finding a hard time finding good deals in the multifamily space that they were sort of pivoting their fund or maybe starting a short-term rental fund. And that happened on two separate occasions when they were starting their own short-term rental fund. And those are the partners I'm dealing with right now where I don't even raise capital at this point. Um, the, the the fund managers handle the investor relations and I'm essentially the deal finder and the operator for the deal. But I started with just friends or family, just asking uh, my first investor, I think was like at 70 grand that they just had saved up over the course of like five years. And we were able to build a couple cabins from that. Oh, wow. Did you bring any yeah. of your own money to those deals? No, none. No. Yeah. The only yeah. money I brought to the table was uh, me like with these larger commercial deals that we're doing now. Like I, I put up the money for like the due diligence, but then I'm refunded at closing. So I'm, I'm maybe for like, if you're looking at like just one or two cabins, you'll probably go three to five grand out of pocket for due diligence cost. I just put that on a business credit card, got some points out of it, and then was refunded at closing. Nice. Yeah. And that, I think if you're not deep into the real estate investing world, everything that we just were just talking about right now, maybe yeah. you should go right over your head. But I, I got to tell yeah. you, like, you know, one of the things that helped me out the most uh, early on was going down a lot of different rabbit holes in Absolutely. in these types of conversations and understanding how real estate financing works, where to find money, understanding, first of all, that like a lot of people that are successful in investing don't even use their own money. And then how to figure out to do that. And, and yeah. then obviously it just kind of mushrooms and grows from there, but there's a ton of content out there. So after the, this the podcast, ten, yeah. The 10 million, yeah, the 10 million that we're purchasing or developing right now, none of my own money. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It's incredible. And then you get this to your point earlier, you're building a brand. You're trying to right. you try to kind of create this like decentralized hotel hospitality exactly. brand. Like a there, like right? a cluster development boutique hotel, sort of like a detached yeah. boutique hotel. Yeah. 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 Um so maybe there's so many directions that we could go here. I want to talk a little bit about brand building with you, but before we get to that. I'd like to get your thoughts on market analysis. So what are some of the things that somebody who doesn't have a lot of experience in this space should be looking at? Because it's one thing to say, just go buy a piece of land with a with a house on and turn it into an Airbnb. It's a whole other, yeah. and you said this earlier about making sure that it's going to cash flow and make you money. So the cheapest and the, the, the free way to do it is honestly to hop on Airbnb's I mean, there, I, I use tools to analyze, but for people who are just starting out, 
you can hop on Airbnb's homepage and they just completely redesigned their website where you can, there are these different tabs. There's like 50 of them at this point, but you can put in a market that you're considering on getting into. And we can talk about what I recommend to students on how to choose a market like that. But um, you can literally hop on Airbnb's website, put your market that you're considering in and see what literally Airbnb will feed you the top properties in that market and see what is are the top properties in that market and emulate those properties. There's n- from take it from me who people who've copied my designs before and I've seen them in my own market it hasn't affected my occupancy in any way it's like when I first started with that first a-frame there was maybe one other a-frame on the market in my in Asheville or in Buncombe County the county where I'm in um, and now there's like 12 or 14 and but we're, we're still occupied like it, it, it's completely fine so you emulate the top properties on the market and you can also see what they're charging you can get an idea of you can go into their calendar, see how far they're booked out, and then also see what they're charging for their rates. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the that's the free way to do it and the quickest way to do it. And it, it also generates some ideas because every area is going to be different, whether you're developing in Joshua Tree in the desert or if you're developing in the Blue Ridge Mountains or the Smoky Mountains. Um, those properties are going to look different just based off of the landscape and like what is surrounding it. Yeah, that that's a good point. There's so many other tools out there. People talk about AirDNA and and I use AirDNA. Rabu Rabu is a free tool we started using. I started using a company called Revity that will hmm. do the report for you as well, which has been key. Um, I'm, I'm not sponsored by them in any way, but I've been I've been <laughs> using them a lot now. Revity, yeah. that's I'll have to check that out. I think the yeah. point is, and you know, I've I've done a lot of these myself. Is that don't just take one data point and and use that for your analysis. Look at, to your point, Airbnb, look at AirDNA, look at Rabu, look at MashVisor, if there's anything on there. There's, there's a bunch of other tools out there. And get a holistic sense of what each one of them says. And then you'll get a better idea of, first of all, the accuracy. If, any, if one of them is like an outlier on either end, maybe throw it out. Um, and then you can sort of develop a, an average out of those other data points. But yeah, I th- there's a lot of free options. You just The point is you got to do the work. You got to just sit down and like just grind through it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Sit down for like an hour or two. And and, I mean, you're going to start to get a feel for what rents for what in your area after you do it for a certain amount of time, right? Like you're like, okay, I know this property is unique. And here's a good example. Like our first property, we developed turnkey with the land furnishings, everything that A-frame, 830 square foot, roughly. Um, 250 grand was the price on that with everything. And then last year it grossed eighty two thousand, and it netted forty six thousand, and after debt service expenses and everything. Wow! So you get a feel. You get a feel for like okay, like property that size with that many people that it can sleep. It can sleep six people. Can make anywhere between thirty five to fifty grand or something like that. And then you can just figure out the average daily rate from there. Did you do uh, like a prefab, a prefabricated home? Oh yeah, that was, was it? permanent foundation stick built. We were gonna do like um, uh, there's a company out there called Avrami that does some really cool A frames. Yep. We yep. modeled their floor plans and they knew we we purchased their floor plans, our floor plan from them. Um, we were gonna do their prefab model where they just ship everything out. Um, but at that time, the shipping cost was like ten grand or something. I think it's still like that, but this was prior to COVID, where it didn't make sense to do it. Now I feel like in this market, um, with like labor and materials cost, I still I think it makes sense to to ship them prefab and time time to go live too. Absolutely, 
Right. Yeah, yeah. You could you can move a lot quicker. I guess you just sort of do the analysis. And you're like, am I willing to as pay long the as shipping? Your teams are, yeah, as long as your yeah. teams are in place, like the, the site work can be done while they're building the property off site. Yeah. Yeah. And there's there's another one I've been looking at, Den Outdoors. Uh, yeah, Den. We're don't... actually building three floor plans from them. Are you really? Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Phenomenal. Great company. I feel like those floor plans would do well anywhere. It really feels yeah. like they would. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got you've got an idea, you've got uh, potentially access to money, you've got a way to determine whether a market makes sense for you. How do you, and you, you just talked about this, so let's dive into it. How do you figure out what market you should be going after? What are some of the things that you may want to look at? Yeah, this is my favorite question because um, it's I've never heard of it taught this way. So there are hundreds of these little pocket markets, like vacation pocket markets throughout the whole country. And whatever real estate book you read, it's like, okay, where should I start? And most of the real estate books will say to start in your backyard. And th this method is sort of true to a point with, with starting in your backyard. I don't recommend doing this in like busy metro markets because the land costs are going to be crazy and these properties aren't really going to fit in that type of setting. All of our properties are anywhere between 15 to 25 minutes away from downtown. Um, we develop in more rural settings. So what I say is, if you're living in a busy metro market, you want to think of where people in your city are taking extended weekend vacations to. So I, I use the two extreme examples of New York City. People will drive to upstate New York every weekend. To, they'll, they'll drive two, three hours to upstate New York to spend a weekend there. Or they'll, uh, or on the other side of the country, you have like San Diego. People will drive to Big Bear to stay up there for a weekend. So those are that's the mark. And that you might find two or three markets that are like that within, I would say, stay under an hour when you're first starting um, because you're going to be driving uh, uh, like to that property a lot. Um, but try to identify a market within an hour driving distance away from you that people like to take extended weekend vacations to. And that's, yeah. that's honestly, that's a good place to start. And then you take that market and then go do exactly what we said about putting that market in the Airbnb and figure out what's unique in that market. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. I think a lot of people get hung up on wanting or, or maybe not knowing how to set up uh, a remote team to run your property. And if, as a beginning right. investor, if you don't have a lot of experience in, in operations, I could, I can absolutely see that as being a, a really big mental hurdle. Um, and probably one, like if, again, if you're just starting out in this and you don't have a lot of hospitality experience, you should be hands-on. You should know how oh, it all works. Because right? then you can call out if something is being done wrong and if someone, quote unquote, is bullshitting you. But like if someone is is lying to you about something, you can tell them, hey, like this is how it's supposed to get done because I've done it. Mm -hmm. so. You hear a lot about the, I don't even know if this is the right way to say it, but like the right place, I'll use air quotes around the right place to invest. And the thing in, in a lot of... Um, buy and hold real estate investing. So if you're going to just get a long-term rental, they talk about going to um, investor or landlord-friendly states to do that. Right. And don't do it in, in cities or states or counties that are more tenant-leaning uh, because you could right. get caught out. And uh, again, that's episode three. Well, what happened with like COVID <laughs> and stuff? Yeah, with like tenant laws and stuff. Absolutely. 100%. Uh, when, it, when we're talking about you know, this subject in particular, you know, getting your hands on a piece of land, developing it, uh, and putting a, a tiny development on there. Um, are, are the same considerations there 
for you? It's, or it's, yeah, so it's not really like red blue states for like investing. It's more like short-term rentals have been around forever. The, they they've existed prior to Airbnb and VRBO. Airbnb VRBO sort of just put them in the spotlight. Um, they've been around forever, and you these cabins people. Have, it's just in the past you had to pick up a phone to book a property compared to staying at a hotel or something. And same thing with a hotel, you have to pick up a phone. It's the same thing with short-term rentals. So when I, what, what I say to that is you want to invest, usually the more rural markets are going to already be comfortable with short-term rentals and to a, to a point, meaning that I don't, like if you look at like Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, there are HOAs there that protect short-term rentals. Like, so you want, usually those pocket markets are going to be a little bit more comfortable with short-term rentals compared to like when you when you see any type of news article, it's like this metro city banned short term rentals. This metro yeah. city ban, but it's not really those pocket markets that ban those short term rentals. Because I mean, it just it contributes to the tourism in that area because the, they tend to be a little bit smaller cities as well. Oh yeah, yeah. We actually did an episode on that. It was like episode seventy five or so, where we 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 had that debate in in that conversation about like are the headlines true? Does short term rentals really affect? housing prices and rental prices for other people. And, you know, what exactly that, the economic yeah. benefits to the area oftentimes outweigh any potential impact on housing prices. And short-term rentals are such a small percentage of the overall uh, inventory of, with, of yeah. housing within a market that, Absolutely. you know, it's, it's, it's insignificant. It's just an excuse, honestly. Yeah. yeah. And another thing what I'm seeing is the way we develop our properties, like unique Instagrammable properties is what I like to call call them. That's sort of where the short-term rental world, vacation rental world is going, is like people are looking for those unique stays that they would be proud to put on their social media. And if that argument ever comes up about we're taking away from the, we're raising prices in an area, those houses, like those normal single family houses that a long-term tenant would be in, or maybe a family would live in, those are those are starting to become a little bit less popular than like the more unique stays anyways. So it's like that that would be my argument to that. Like if well, that ever yeah. got brought up. Well, and you're not you're not actually taking any housing inventory off the market. You're you're building and then <laughs> right. it's purpose built short-term rentals. So it's it's a completely different situation. You know, you bring right. up an interesting point though. The hotel world, I would say 10, 12 years ago, really started started to see the proliferation of what you call lifestyle boutique yeah, brands, absolutely. right? And every hotel company out there came up, well, almost all of them, the big brands came up with their own offshoot brand of what their boutique funky hotel yeah. was going to be. You look at Marriott, IHG, every, all of them. Yeah. Every they single all one did. Of them and it makes perfect like sense. That. Yeah. That the short-term rentals would go in the same direction. It's, you don't want to stay in somebody's, you know, two bedroom home in some random suburb neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, you, you want to, you want to have a unique experience. And there, I mean, there's a time, there's a time and place for the roadside hotel, right? <laughs> just like the lifestyle. Or like the hotel brand. in the city. If you're there for like a business conference or something, that's what I think about when I book a hotel. Yeah. And there's yeah. a time and place for the, the sub suburban two bedroom, three bedroom home and a time and place right. for this unique stay, um, place Absolutely. for sure. Makes sense to just go in that way. Um, let's, I want to talk before we wrap here a little bit about building a brand. And as somebody who didn't come to this space with a hospitality background, yeah. uh, how, what's the process that you've gone through to figure out what your positioning is going to be? How did you get educated enough in the space to be able to say, we're not just another 
cool cabin to stay at, but we're offering something a little bit different. This is what we're doing. Yeah. And it, I'll, I will tell you flat out that it has been a little bit, it has been difficult trying to identify that. Cause sometimes what I see is like compared to a log cabin or an A-frame at their face, it would be, it, you would think it's the same clientele, but it's a completely different clientele. And sort of the numbers don't lie when you look at like profile pictures, the age of our people, like the guests that are coming through. Um, I have, it's not necessarily demographics I focused on. It's more only, mainly psychographics. So outdoor living type of properties where, I mean, Asheville, Buncombe County, outdoor, a lot of recreational stuff to do here. Um, so that that's what we've really been focused on. And the cool thing about the, developing the unique properties is, is it opens you up to the world of influencer marketing as well. So we bring in influencers that are known, that already have those, have already developed those communities in their followings and we get them to stay in our properties and review our properties post our properties on their social media and that has been a phenomenal um tool to bring our like i guess like avatar into our properties that's yeah. interesting you know hotels do the same thing especially the, the the high end you look ones. at we i just had a conversation this morning with one of my investors that that flew in from michigan um for breakfast and we were talking about uh, the city of Tulum Beach, Mexico, is was literally built on social media. Like, like my wife and I had went there last year, but it was just influencers everywhere. Now, necessarily, yeah. I don't want that at my properties, but it's like it's the power of social media marketing and influencer marketing is huge, huge. Yeah, yeah, it, it still is. It still is. It's yeah. been. It has been. But yeah, yeah. Um, one last question for you. Maybe two last questions for you. Um, What's harder, getting your first or your second? Oh, your first. Yeah, because yeah. the first one you're overcoming yourself, I feel like, more than the actual, you're learning. You're you're learning everything from scratch. Um, the second one's like, okay, that was terrible. Let's do it again or whatever. Like, that was stressful. <laughs> Let's do it again. Um, yeah. 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 We can, I mean, you're going to go, you're going to go through those growing pains on your first one, no matter, even if you have the blueprint on how to do everything. I mean, real estate's so market specific and everything is so different in every single market. You're dealing with actual people when you're building properties and crews. Like things are gonna go wrong. Same thing with rehabbing a property. It's a, it, things go wrong in real estate. It's just how you handle them. But yeah, for the first one is definitely harder than the second one. Yeah, yeah. Is it? Would you would you recommend that somebody starts out with uh, just one property, cut their teeth on yeah, it, one, and then grow if, from if there? You're, if you're purchasing to develop down the road, maybe that is two units. Um, but yeah, I, I started with that first A-frame. You can do two at the same time, and it's really not that much different. Um, what I recommend to people to build two units at the same time under the same loan is essentially try to get your county. It, it, sometimes it's automatically done just in the building plans, but um, the way we built, we built the first one, then we built number two and three at the same time. And the way we did that was we did a primary and an accessory dwelling unit. The same way that I said you're living in one and then you're building one in your backyard, we just built two. We just built the primary and the accessory dwelling unit. We built yeah. a big A-frame and then a mini version of that A-frame or a big house and then a smaller version of the house. So you can do that strategy as well as doing two at the same time um, compared to just doing one. And the numbers tend to work out a little better that way as well. And, and that's you don't, you the zoning. Alone. Yeah, the, the zone, most zoning will allow the ADUs in the more rural areas, no matter even in the strictest zoning code in my county, it still allows for accessory dwelling units and short term rentals. Do you run up against 
density requirements. So let's say you get a 10 acre piece of land uh, and, you know, because it's one lot, you might run into that primary, secondary, primary or ADU allowance only on a specific um, number acreage. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So what do you do then? Do you subdivide it or? Yeah. 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 We, we've, so what we, we recently did that on a six cabin deal that we're developing. 15, it was 14, just say 15 acres, 15 acres. We subdivided it into three lots and we didn't have to get a subdivision, uh, plat recorded for that. Cause anything more than that, um, we would, anything more than three, we would have had to get it recorded. Um, and then we just did primary accessory, primary accessory, primary. And my builder had the opinion that, um, we were wasting space by doing that because it was five acres for two properties essentially or six properties for 15 acres but we got a good deal on the land and also it sort of play we'll eventually build more maybe two or three more on that but the the that fed into the feeling of the entire property where the i'm not a huge fan of stacking the properties to each other and to answer your original question it's not usually the way we're developing you don't really run into those density requirements because you're already fulfilling them like two it's uh, the strictest I've seen in my county is one property per acre, mm. or I think like one property per half acre, but that's still a lot. That's a like lot. One property per half acre. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And if, it, if you got 10 acres, that's, you know, 10 to 20 properties. Uh, right. Exactly. On that one, and on that's that for one the short term rental stuff. Like you can, if you wanted to go the subdivision route, you can definitely do that. And I mean, that opens you up to a completely different world that I haven't even played with, where it's like, if I wanted to build, like, say, like, 30 properties all on 0.15 acres and put them in a subdivision. My county looks at that as like a hotel. Like mm. I would have to get a hotel permit for that, which honestly is not terrible, but I just haven't gone that route yet. So it, it just all yeah. falls on understanding your zoning laws, like your local zoning laws. Yeah. And that just brings me to the last question here I want to ask you about is having the right people on your team, because zoning laws are the thing that's going to make it or break it for you that well yeah. one, one of the it's like 1.1 it's like will people stay can you build it <laughs> one yeah. and 1.1 1. 1. uh who do you have to have on your team who should you be looking for so if you're I, I i'm licensed i'm a licensed real estate agent here but i use a real estate agent that's way better than me use a real use a real estate agent that has experience in buying and selling land they're going to know the context way better than you they're going to they're going to be able to tell you this 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 and this it's not just finding your buddy that just got their real estate license or uh, the top producing residential agent or commercial agent in an area google a land real find a land real estate agent in your area that specializes in land number 2 don't outside of your gc for number 2 don't be scared to call your county and at, like i know my county has a phone number and a contact of literally the person's job is to tell you how you can develop your parcel if you want to develop it that way so don't be scared of your county they're there for a reason they're mm-hmm. they're, they're there to to tell you what you can and can't do with the give property. the guy some work call him up yeah and it's like, that's all he I, does. Would, I would recommend following those rules if you're bringing on investor capital cuz some people are do develop properties or get properties like illegally and operate them illegally. Um, But if you're bringing on investor capital or putting financing or any type of leverage on the property, I'd recommend doing it right. So don't be scared of those people. They're there for a reason. They are going to be your best resource. Like most people in the county that are not new there know me. Like when I submit something, um, I'm not afraid of short-term rental permits. If I need to get a permit, like I'll 
Like I'll, I will stand in front of the board if I need to get like a conditional use permit, special use permit, something. I've never been denied for one. You just got to be open to the county and the people that work there. They're just people at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. And we're not talking about hiring people. For when we talk about people on your team, yeah. this is these are just people within your orbit that you can call for yeah. help that are going to help you. I consider those people in my team. Like I don't pay my agent directly, but right. she just works off commission. But yeah, I mean, those are the people to have. Those are if you want to build a team for stuff like that. But exactly what you said, it's like those are the two most important contacts: is a land real estate agent and the, your county contacts. Nice. So it, Alex, it doesn't you cost got, any money. Yeah, it doesn't cost any money. Yeah, that's exactly right. Until until you move forward with them and right. uh, and build your empire. Um, Alex, you got a lot going on uh, with, with short-term rentals and building this brand here. Uh, if anybody wanted to learn more from you, get in touch with you, or, or, you know, maybe just bounce some ideas off of you, what's a good place for people to get a hold of you? Yeah. Uh, my, uh, I'm a writer for bigger pockets. Actually. Um, I, I write for their short-term rental content for their blog. I'm pretty active in the comments section in there. Um, you guys can check out my free YouTube channel as well, which is Alex Builds. It's a logo of a blue treehouse. Um, that's where I go. Like, I was going on site a lot. I still go on site, and I was like, I'm just gonna bring my camera with me and videotape like my thoughts on like what's happening at my properties and stuff. So, um, sort of detail just the building process on my YouTube channel, and then uh, my personal channel, uh, my personal website, which is alexstrabo.com. We have like a coaching program, like a short-term rental development coaching program. Um, for anyone who's interested in that, you guys can just go through the, the, the process of signing up for that. If you guys are interested in something that, uh, we, we started that like a month and a half ago. Um, essentially I, cre- I sat down and created the course that I wish I had when I first started. Um, <laughs> uh, if nice. I would have had this course when I first started or this coaching program, when I first started, I probably would have saved two, 300,000 at this point. That's amazing. Yeah. Yes. Everything will be linked in the show notes if anybody wants to get a hold of you. But uh, Alex, I uh, I appreciate you coming on and giving some insight into this world here. This is a, a new topic on this channel or on this podcast. And uh, I know this is an area that a lot of people want to get into. And I hope that this episode is sort of giving everybody the push, anybody who wants to, giving them the push to explore this a little bit more and maybe get into it. So thanks for bringing your expertise. Appreciate you, man. This was my episode with Alex Jarbo. You can find him on LinkedIn, YouTube, or at alexjarbo.com. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you're not a subscriber to the podcast, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For past episodes or to get in touch with us, just go to theprovenprinciplespodcast.com. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, we're at the Proven Principles Podcast, or you can find us on LinkedIn. I'm Adam Knight, and you've been listening to the Proven Principles Podcast. Until next time.